Let's talk about feelings. Although we've come a long way, most of us still struggle to be with our feelings and the feelings of others, especially in the United States where I live, where it feels to me like societally we're frozen in an adolescent mindset, stunted from being able to be with complex emotions like rage and grief. On this week's episode of Tune In With Marcy, I answer an important listener question about trauma and sensitivity. I explore why parsing out sensitivity versus trauma and understanding our feelings is not always straightforward. A simple model I use to explain the connection between our sensitivity, our trauma, and our feelings, the purpose of big emotions like grief and anger, the common strategies we often take to deal with these big emotions that actually keep us stuck, and three steps sensitive people can take to start decoding their feelings right now. I'm Marcy Moberg, and this is Tune In with Marcy, a podcast devoted to exploring what it means to reconnect to our intuitive nature. Hello, and welcome to Tune In with Marcy. I'm your host, intuitive coach and healer, Marcy Moberg, and I'm so delighted that you are here today. I am back after a break in the podcast for several weeks. I'll talk a little bit about uh, why that is. There's been a lot happening. And this week we're going to be talking about decoding our feelings as a sensitive person. I received a wonderful listener question about this several months ago. So we are diving into this super rich question. So let's talk about feelings. Although we've come a long way, I would say culturally most of us still struggle to be with our feelings and the feelings of others. I think of where I live, which is in the United States, as being pretty what I would call emotion illiterate, (laughs) if that's like a phrase, emotion illiterate, frozen in many ways in an adolescent mindset, stunted from being able to be with complex emotions like rage and grief. And Part of why I stepped away from the podcast was because I have been working very recently with complex emotions myself, big multi-layered grief to name one of the big emotions I was working with after losing our child in a miscarriage this March, which was devastating. It was traumatic. It was difficult. It resulted in an ambulance trip to the ER and surgery. It was just... It was hard. And on top of that, um, if my space sounds different, that happened to our family. And then we moved, my husband and I moved, which we were, had been planning for a long time, moved to an entirely different new city um, where we are currently in our first house together that we actually own, which is really exciting. Uh, and then my family came to visit. So it just was like so much stuff. (laughs) Just the, just losing our child alone has been a lot and I'm not done processing those feelings. And in many ways, uh, people I've spoken to kind of talk about who have gone through this before talk about how it never really leaves you, but nevertheless, moving through that experience reminded me just again how much we do struggle as a society to be with difficult feelings because friends who I really, really thought would be there for me through my grief just disappeared. 
I think so many people just get uncomfortable when big feelings are present. Uh, sometimes that's because they haven't processed their own stuff. They aren't. They haven't created enough spaciousness inside of themselves to be with their own stuff. They, you know, socially conditioned to think that they have to fix something rather than simply love, empathize, and be a witness to someone else's experience. So. You know, those are some of the reasons that happens. I'm fully conscious of that. I'm aware of that. I have been through a lot of difficult journeys in my own life. So I have had many crossroads like this where friends disappear. This is not a new thing to me. Regardless of knowing all these things, it's still not fun when it happens. And it is just a reminder of just how unversed we are in the emotional landscape. And then I had some other experiences where friends who I didn't know could empathize did. They extended amazing empathy. They uh, shared stories that they had never shared with me before about their own loss. Um, and, And in some of those friendships, we, you know, drew closer, which was really beautiful. And even though I am really well practiced with my feelings, I... I'm in touch with them on a daily basis. I journal. I, I'm very, I, I very much am proactive. Um, my therapist jokes that sometimes I'm like too proactive. <laughs> but I'm very proactive and I'm well practiced with my feelings and not one to shy away from difficulty. I, I can be with difficulty, mess, uh, discomfort. I've learned how to do that. But even still, sometimes there were moments where I wanted to run from my grief or, or the discomfort from my grief and disconnect from it. I've learned that I, I feel differently than most people as a sensitive person. But I also know that most people in the society that I live in avoid their feelings. Just flat out avoid them, stuff them down, or out of touch with them. This is something that happens a lot in my client work. I tend to work a lot with people who are very strong, who are very resilient, who uh, have an ability to keep going even despite difficulty. Of course, that's because that's kind of fabric of who I am. That's usually how those things happen. But when we have this, you know, I think something we don't always fully connect the dots to is that we we often think of people who avoid feelings or the way that I see it often talked about is that we think about people who avoid feelings as people who are just a complete mess, but then won't do anything about it. We don't talk about people that appear to have things together that seem to be doing well on the surface, but that are also avoiding their feelings. And those are the strong ones. Those are the strongest. Those are a lot of the clients that I see in my practice. And that's absolutely the fabric of who I was myself for a long time. So there's a lot of layers uh, that I see to how people avoid their feelings. So am I more sensitive than a lot of people? Probably, but also a lot of people in the society where I live and in other places across the world avoid their feelings. So that, you know, has me thinking through this experience. Am I really more sensitive or am I actually just more tuned in? Am I willing to lean in to the mess more than the majority of people around me? I think the jury is still out. 
And I think some of how that happens, it's, you know, it's not a judgment of better, someone's better or worse, but it's just a recognition that some, you know, those are skills that I had to learn myself about how to lean in. Those are skills I had to learn myself, competencies I had to develop over many, many years myself because we're not, we don't learn them in this culture where I live, in this society. So either way, regardless of whether we're talking about the issues I'm more sensitive, the issue is people generally avoid feelings. Either way, feelings and being a sensitive person is a very complex and interesting way to live. And because as a sensitive person, research says that we feel more than 80% of the population, that's interesting. In the late 90s, psychologist Dr. Elaine Aron and her husband shared groundbreaking research where the term highly sensitive person, also known as HSP, was born. If you're not familiar with that term, uh, it's a very interesting term. It's served as a really reaffirming concept for many of the clients that I have worked with. And Dr. Erin and her husband discovered that HSPs have a more sensitive central nervous system. And what that means is that they, sensitives, HSPs, experience deeper cognitive processing of physical, emotional, and mental, mental stimuli. It's literally like HSPs have this unique ability, we, because I'm one of them, we have this unique ability to understand complexity. We literally take in more from our environment, physical environment, from the emotional information that's in our body and from our mind. We literally soak in more information because, and that makes us very adept at dealing with complexity and understanding complex things. Um, But it also means that it has some other impacts, which means that it may take longer for an HSP to process and make decisions. HSPs can be sensitive to loud noises, lights, smells, physical pain, large groups of people. This is certainly something I've seen myself in my husband versus me when I go to places like, um, you know, a big store like Target or something like that. The, it's just a lot of data and information and I will leave that store feeling usually tired depending on how much we spend time in there. Like I could feel more tired. It doesn't impact him in the same way. And HSPs also tend to be more introverted, needing time alone to recharge their batteries. Dr. Aaron's research found that HSPs have a lower sensory threshold than the majority of the population and therefore are wired differently. Again, I think this is super useful because for me, finding this research many years ago while I was teaching yoga was like finding an owner's manual for my system. It was like, oh, yes, this is explaining so much that I couldn't always put words to. And when I paired that myself in my own journey with somatic-based therapy, I learned over the years uh, through a lot of practice and mentoring how to work with my nervous system in a way that really supports my nervous system uh, rather than depleting it. But I also think that sensitives have a more complex story than just simply the HSP piece. Now, sometimes there might be just the HSP piece, but given that the majority of sensitives I personally have worked with in my client work and seen in my classroom 
uh, have a history of complex trauma, I think that there's maybe more to the story. And complex trauma, just so we're on the same page, means like long-term exposure to trauma and multiple traumatic events. And complex trauma has a long-term lasting effect on people. Most notably, we could say that it impacts a person's nervous system. And the way that I see that show up a lot for folks is the potential for feeling safe. And that that potential for feeling safe is um, like the trigger to move into a sense of like, am I safe, my safety feels at risk, or my safety isn't in question. That happens more often for folks who are HSPs have complex trauma than folks who are not uh, with a similar background, we could say. So that leads me to this rich, that's all context to lead you to this really, really rich listener question that I received about how to decode a sensitive person's feelings. And this is something that I work on a lot in my client work. There are elements of this that I include in every single um, online program that I teach and run. And their question had two parts. When do we know when we're feeling, when what we're feeling is due to our sensitivity versus our trauma, and what do we do about it? The listener shared that, you know, they've had some experiences with people who identify as a sensitive person. The listener themselves identifies as a sensitive person. But some of the other sensitives they've dealt with used their sensitivity as like a reason for being extremely emotional, reactive, um, outbursty all the time. And so this is really good question because I've seen this come up a lot and I love this multi-layered question and and also the answer to it is not really so clear-cut. So imagine with me to start a Venn diagram and in your mind draw one circle where it represents sensitivity and, and someone's sensitivity and what that includes. And then there's another circle that includes the history, the trauma history of this person And then the other circle is the environmental structural society's impact. That can be everything from literal like structures, like structural racism to environmental uh, pieces. Like you're working in a um, workplace where, you know, (laughs) abusive behaviors are kind of normalized. Um, I'm going to give an example about that. And then there's the society's impact, which is this sense of, uh, I shared recently about how there are a lot of trauma responses that we normalize in this society as good, like overachieving, but that's actually a trauma response. Moving into hyperdrive where you're overdoing, doing, 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 is actually a trauma response. So society's sense of like normalizing that as normal behavior, that could be an impact on someone. And at the center of this Venn diagram where these these circles uh, intersect is where our feelings can be informed and, and, and like shapes how our feelings, how we experience our feelings, shapes when our feelings show up, shapes how big our feelings become, if that makes sense. Now I'm trying to talk about these three pieces when in reality, if you're familiar at all with any of my shadow work that I talk about, the way that I perceive shadow work is very, very layered. So these are just only three layers. And I'm talking about these three layers because they're three of the layers that I see come up the most. And I think are one part 
that's important to this question. So I'm just going to choose these three for this episode. Otherwise, this episode would be like uh, eight hours plus long. <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> okay, so let's work with an example. A client uh, I worked with is a sensitive person and has a history of childhood trauma with a male family member. And they worked in a male-dominated environment where people who don't identify as men are more easily dismissed, not promoted, and paid less. I think of these kind of environments as like the quote-unquote good old boys club, right? I think you get the picture. And in this place where she was working, she's super talented. She's got a lot of gifts. She has a lot of expertise. She often felt unseen, disrespected at work, and it really... It, it like eroded on her um, self-esteem and her experience in the workplace over time. And before we worked together, by the time she showed up at my kind of client door, a lot of anger was bubbling up in work situations. And she was easily triggered on and, and moving into the defense and feeling a bit like work colleagues were like kind of out to get her. Now, this scenario I'm describing is, is literally one that I have seen with you know, different variables, but one that I have seen so many times in my client work. And with this client, even the smallest moments would have her wondering like, will I get fired? Do they even respect me? She increasingly like over time, she just wasn't sure. And that's how she showed up to me. She was like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to do with this. Like what's happening? Her anger, I want to name, because I think this is important, was worthy and completely understandable. I mean, for me, that's obvious, but let's talk about why. Because not only had she been through a lot in her childhood years, like those formative developmental stages, sometimes her coworkers and bosses were being honestly like assholes. And I'd even say some of the behavior was abusive at times. That's also a theme that I see, again, a lot in my client work. I have seen a lot of clients work in environments where behavior is honestly extremely, you know, moving into the place of like abuse, verbal abuse, um, just completely unacceptable. And the organization has kind of normalized it, this very toxic dynamic as uh, just how bosses operate or how people get things done. So I want to name that her anger had a purpose and was legitimate, but how she was relating to her anger wasn't healthy. Okay, so that's the important distinction that I think is essential here. Anger, big emotions can be completely worthy, but how we relate to it sometimes can be unhealthy for us. And for this client, it was really running her workdays and making her honestly just like miserable totally miserable. It was starting to impact all these different areas of her life. By the way, if any of this sounds like you and you're like, oh, (laughs) this difficult dynamic at work only happens at work. It never affects other parts of my life. You're funny. (laughs) That's not how that works. Uh, Life is this amazing web where things impact things everywhere. And of course, that's what she discovered. (laughs) So her increasing uh, anger was really stopping her from, we could say, catching her stride in her career that she cared about. She was trying so hard 
but she wasn't catching her stride, you know, like it wasn't like she was, um, the plane of her career was not just like really taking off. It was a, it was a struggle. It was hard and it kept her like it blocked her from enjoying, like sharing her talents. Like it blocked her from enjoying the field that she genuinely cared about, that she genuinely felt purposeful in joining. And it even had her questioning, like, do I need to not work in this field? And it kept her in a really sticky dynamic where she was constantly mad at the people in the organization she worked for. I mean, again, I don't blame her. <laughs> These big feelings kept her from, you know, clearly seeing that honestly, where she worked was absolutely not a match and not supporting her to thrive. It wasn't supporting her to thrive. So instead of just getting flooded with her anger, she needed instead to make a decision. Was she, for example, going to address some of these inappropriate, like abusive, toxic behaviors head on? Was she going to try to address them? Was she going to try to model how she wanted to be treated? See if that worked. Was she going to try different communication strategies? Or was she just going to be like, bye and leave and take her talent somewhere else? But the point is, is that she wasn't in a place like when when she came to me and all this anger was taking her over, she wasn't in a place of agency. She wasn't recognizing choice. She wasn't recognizing any of these layers. She was just lost in anger. And that's how the relationship with her very, very worthy anger was unhealthy for her. And I see this pattern show up a lot for my sensitive clients in their work and at home with their partners. It's like this perfect storm where sensitivity, past trauma, and current real-time challenging environments fuel big emotions that they get swept away in, and suddenly they've lost their clarity along the way. Hey there, Marcy here. I have a very important question for you. Do you want your unique path guided by the power of your intuition? I'm guessing the answer is yes, if you're listening to this podcast, but maybe you struggle with self-doubt and you always seem to second guess yourself, or you can't always tell the difference between your intuition and your fear, and you don't know what your inner voice even sounds like. If this is you, you're not alone. These are very common challenges that I see in my clients and my students over the years. And I just want you to know that I got you and we can change this. Doors to my very popular program, Intuition Unlocked, are opening very soon. But guess what? You don't actually don't have to wait to get a taste of this program. I'm offering you complimentary access right now to an audio lesson and PDF straight from the course into your inbox. All you have to do is go to www.marcymoberg.com forward slash intuition lesson. That's marcymoberg.com forward slash intuition lesson. And you'll receive the lesson straight in your inbox. You can immediately download them, listen, and start to get answers to some of these questions. In addition, you'll also be subscribed to my newsletter, which I like to think of as my inner circle. I like to think of it as a special community of people that's huddled around together, drinking tea and having meaningful conversations. And in that place, I share exclusive practices that you can't find anywhere else, goodies, updates, and more. So I hope you'll take me up on this beautiful offer to get a taste of this powerful program and to start to empower you to 
tap more intentionally into your intuition and get a sense of what does your inner voice sound like. Again, head on over to marcymoberg.com forward slash intuition lesson. Now back to this week's episode. Big emotions like anger and grief have a purpose. They point us to what we most deeply desire, our priorities and values that we hold dear, core needs in our relationships, past wounds that we are ready to heal, and younger parts of ourselves needing care. This is all extremely important. But so often, when these big emotions hit us, we move into an unhealthy relationship with them like taking our big feelings and then projecting them out onto other people or our environment, or like getting lost in the powerful story and feelings that we might call like a trauma spell, or missing the wisdom underneath the feelings and getting lost in pointing fingers, like maybe just so easily moving into blame, but neglecting to take responsibility for our actions. That doesn't mean making the mistake of overextending that responsibility and then taking responsibility for things that are not ours. But, you know, really seeing clearly what are we responsible for and what are we not responsible for. Usually, without awareness, practice, uh, a sense of perspective, we can get lost in this unhealthy relationship where we just focus on the blame. So trauma and intergenerational trauma can repeat when we think we have like this hall pass to just be a complete like an asshole or to get completely lost um, in collapse and staying stuck in uh, victim because we've been through or are going through hell. Now, that being said, I do think it's important when someone has gone through something difficult or is going through something difficult to actually own the victim and to to own how that's impacting them. But that doesn't mean that then we get stuck in that place, relate to our experience, our feelings in an unhealthy way that then thereby has us pointing fingers at everyone all the time and not finding the agency and choice that we have. And when this kind of unprocessed, big, raw emotions continue to get projected out, that's really how unhealed trauma can continue to get passed down through generations. So here's what I'm proposing instead. If you're a sensitive person with a history of trauma and you are also impacted by your environment and social structures, your big feelings are an invitation to just start with, this is not like the complete story, but as a starting point to do the following three things as a starting point. First, slow down and get curious. Second, exercise self-compassion. And three, take responsibility. Let's talk briefly about each one. Slowing down is, I think, the most important step we can take when big emotions arise Slowing down is not, like, let's be clear about what it's not. It's not trying to stuff your feelings down. It's not trying to force ourselves into a calm state when we feel heated up. After all, a lot of anger and big feelings are completely justified and understandable. And it's not turning away from discomfort to avoid our big feelings. 
Instead, it's the ability to pause for a period of time with what we are saying, actions we might take, and how we perceive things so that we don't regret them later. This moment of pause can give us some space from the story that's just, you know, barreling through our inner experience and save us from rushing to conclusions that might be incomplete or maybe even incorrect. Curiosity is slowing down's best friend and an important part of this first step stage, whatever you want to talk, however you want to say it that I'm suggesting. Because curiosity, in curiosity, we can really discover new perspectives, insights, and we can get underneath the feeling to see what our big feeling is actually trying to communicate to us. Recently, I validated a client's anxious feelings that she had about a work situation. I said, you know, like, it's completely understandable why this situation would make you anxious. And she was really surprised. She said, like, it is? (laughs) Of which I said, like, of course. Of course it's understandable. You've had a really rough journey to get here. It's understandable why parts of you are feeling so unsure and unsafe right now. And when I named that, I watched her face soften and tears start to well in her eyes. In my work, I do my best to model for my clients, the voice of compassion that I want to empower them to develop inside of themselves, that I want to empower them to embody inside of themselves, to to plant those seeds, to nourish them, and to let them bloom, those seeds of self-compassion. Because working with our emotions doesn't ask us to deny what we've been through. I think that's really important. It's something that took me a long time myself to learn And it's something it took me a long time, not only to learn, but to give myself permission for. And owning our tough history doesn't mean that we've fallen prey to quote unquote victim mindset. Again, like I said, I do actually think owning the victim is a really important part of healing, but not getting stuck or we could say flooded by that singular part of ourselves is essential. So rather, having compassion for the challenges we've experienced in life actually opens us up to our humanity. I also think it opens us up to the humanity of others and provides us space to move forward with intention and care. And so for me, it's like really having compassion, acknowledging truth of what's happened and how it's impacted us. Those two pieces, I think, can really provide very fertile ground for shifting how we relate to emotions because there's a softening that automatically starts to come with that that's essential that's really essential and necessary which is then exactly where responsibility can come in i find that the most compassionate people are often the most authentically responsible and again i say authentically responsible because <laughs> you may like take responsibility for some actions, but maybe not genuinely mean it. And I do find that folks who generally practice self-compassion more naturally want to step into responsibility and be in that full agency of that. So what do I mean by that? I mean that when we exercise self-compassion for ourselves in tough moments, 
We provide care to the parts of us that are triggered. Those are the inner infants, the inner children, the inner teens, the younger versions of ourselves, um, the parts of us that were growing into adulthood, parts of us in adulthood that had some difficulties. When we do that, it's easier for the present day self that is an adult, that is wise, that has an accumulation of experience and perspective. It allows that part of us to see the situation more clearly and to show up and lead. Okay, so that means that what I'm trying to say is that self-compassion cares for these younger versions, these different parts of ourselves that get ignited when, you know, really when we have big emotions, it's, it's telling us that parts of us are lit up. Parts of us have been activated. So self-compassion is like bringing in the most luscious, yummy, cozy, warm, buttery nourishment to those parts of us. So then while they're all nestled and ha- you know feeling good and <clears throat> met and cared for, then the part of us that's the leader, the present day adult wise self, can actually lead, <laughs> which is important because that's where responsibility comes from. And when our adult self leads, we're able to see what parts are truly ours to own and what are not ours to own, right? That's again, that's another part that I think that sometimes goes missing when we're talking about responsibility. Responsibility is not about throwing a blank at responsibility, but it's about being really clear inside of ourselves. What do I actually need to own and what is actually not mine to own? And this is really the bedrock of clear action and decision-making. So does sensitivity mean we feel more? Often, yes. And does a history of trauma compound that? Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, What does this mean you know, does this mean that we can allow our big feelings to just flow without reflection? No. And I do see that that has happened in some circles I've belonged to in the new age spiritual communities in the past. There have been times where I have witnessed people, you know, understanding being with their emotions and letting them flow as if literally just allowing the emotions to flow unreflected, unfiltered, unaware. Uh, That's not what we're going for. I dare say that because we feel so much as sensitives that in fact, maybe we're invited into a deeper level of self-awareness and mastery. An awareness that empowers us to simultaneously hold compassion for our sensitive system and history while also courageously taking mature action. So that's what I have to say about this question. I think it's a really important one. This is, as is with all episodes, this is not like the end all of the things. This is just a start. So did you find this exploration supportive? I hope so. Did you have some ahas along the way? I really hope so. Um, And if so, I'd be really grateful for you to share the aha energy that you've received from this episode with others by sharing a screenshot of the episode and tagging me on Instagram at Marcy Moberg. That's an at sign and then M-A-R-C-I-M-O-B-E-R-G. Next time, I'll be exploring the power of place and how land and place shape us 
and it will be an episode full of intuitive insights and shadow work wisdom. It's something I've been thinking about a lot since I literally have moved to new land. So I'm really excited to bring that with you, um, bring that for you next week and uh, take that a little bit deeper. Last thing I want to say before I close is that reason why I've taken this whole journey with you, besides the fact that I received a listener question, is because I passionately believe that this kind of um, shadow work with our emotions, work with understanding and healing our trauma, our past, doing this resolution of our past to be more in the present, is essential to our intuitive development. It's essential to accessing our intuition and it's essential to receiving clear guidance in our intuition because otherwise we run the risk of not doing that and thinking we're getting all these amazing insights. And maybe some of those insights, you could think of it as like being, are being run through your system. And as they're running through your system, they're running through these lenses of all these layers of energies, all these layers of experiences that have not been tended to, like your past trauma, your past wounding, etc. And that clouds things. Now, it's never like a perfect you know, it's never like a perfect, we're, we're, we're never like perfectly, you know, bow on top, uh, neat beings. That's just not how we are. So by doing this work of tending to our shadows and exploring this, you know, the messy layers, all the strings that you can pull on when you're looking at just even one big emotion, it just allows us to more often than not ensure that if we have clarity, we can maybe be more confident of the clarity being seated in our wisdom and not our wounding. So until next time, when we see each other again in this podcast, I want to just again remind you of my personal mantra that I continue to use to guide me in my life. And that is that being you takes courage. Much love. Thank you so much for tuning in today with me on my podcast, Tune In with Marcy. I hope you loved this episode and it enriches you as much as it has for me to create it. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would be so grateful for you to hop on over to Apple Podcasts, share your rating, and leave a review. Ideally, five stars. That way, more people can find this podcast, which would be wonderful. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And you can always learn more about me and my work at my website, www.marcymoberg.com. That's my first and last name.com. Until next time, remember, being you takes courage. Lots of love. Thank you.